Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The La Crosse Public Library Archives presents Dark Lacrosse Stories, a series in collaboration with the La Crosse Tribune. Dark Lacrosse is a suite of programs that feature the seedier side of lacrosse history and also include a downtown walking tour, a trolley tour, and an annual stage production with new content each year. It happened right here on the railroad tracks at the Avon Street crossing. I am Louis Rule, a detective for the Milwaukee Railroad, and it's my job to protect the Milwaukee Road's property. That night I was doing rounds like usual when I came upon four hoodlums of what we call the Goose Green Gang just after midnight. They were all former GIs, back only four months from the Great War, but they knew each other from before. Most of them grew up on the north side here. Me? I was born in Germany, but I call Winona, Minnesota, my hometown. When all this turmoil over German loyalty began to froth in the news, I quietly changed my first name from Ludwig to Lewis. I came to La Crosse and began working as a mail clerk for the Milwaukee Road. I moved up the ranks and was appointed road detective two months prior to this incident. My quick thinking prevented my getting killed that night by those rogues. Just after midnight on a March evening in 1919, shots rang out near the railroad crossing and two unarmed men lay wounded in the street. Yes, and I don't deny, I was the one who shot them. As I've testified before, a group of men were on the tracks and I warned them to get off. They did not leave at once and began to swarm me. One hit me over the head with a dinner pail and I told them to raise their hands. Afraid of being attacked, I shot at them at close range while they tried to subdue me. Was an act of self-defense, plain and simple, although that's not the story the prosecution gave. Right after the shots were fired, I found myself surrounded by a small crowd of men who wanted to lynch me. The police were called, but it seemed it took forever for Officer Lad Benzoz to get there. He recognized me straight away. I surrendered my gun to him, and he shielded me, taking me to a nearby house to call for aid. But the crowd began to knock on the doors and windows of the house, became agitated and taking possession of my gun again I yelled out at them you've got to be quicker than me if you want to get my gun unfortunately for rule this action delayed officer Benzuz in calling for help as he tried to protect the railroad detective one of the victims John Shomers walked to his sister's house a few blocks away and fell mortally wounded on her doorstep never regaining consciousness the two victims were transported by ambulance to St. Francis Hospital 30 minutes after the shots were fired Shomers died at 7 a.m. the next morning After the crowd subsided, I was released and wanted to return to road property right away, but instead was allowed to return home with my firearm. The police department and Mayor Bentley caught hell for that move. After an editorial blast in the paper, Bentley did send someone to collect me. Frankly, I felt safer in jail than at home. 
In the meantime, Chief Weber wasted no time in recording statements from Fred Zunker, the other target of Rule's firearm, about what happened. At Zunker's bedside at St. Francis Hospital, Chief Weber asked the wounded man his recollection of events that morning despite his intense pain. Also a Milwaukee Road employee, Zunker had just gotten off work and was walking down the track with his dinner pail in hand and his buddies Shomers, Andrew Bartovic, and Otto Dassey. The railroad detective came down the track in back of the group between Liberty and Avon Streets. Zunker claimed to have called out, Didn't you know I work for the company? And that rule answered, Yes, I know you do. You're the switch tender at the tower. He shot his gun at their feet and then pointed the gun at their heads. Shomers decided to knock the gun out of Rule's hand, but Rule got hot-headed and fired. Zunker claimed to be shot first, then Shomers. Less than 24 hours after the death of Shomers, Fred Zunker died in the company of his grieving family. Even Zunker, in his last statement to the district attorney before dying, said one of them had tried to strike the gun out of my hand. They charged me with the murder of Shomers even before the coroner's inquest. It was self-defense, plain and simple. My plea was an easy, not guilty. So began what Rule's lawyer would call, quote, one of the longest and stubbornly fought murder cases in the history of La Crosse County. Accusations of Rule being drunk were made and contradicted. Bartoviak, one of the men involved and a primary witness for the prosecution, had a prior conviction, so his testimony seemed suspect. The testimony of how far away the men were from Rule when the firearm was discharged was also inconclusive, and the autopsy reports merely stated that the shots were fired at close range, likely less than three feet, while the witnesses claimed Rule was at least 25 feet away. But I found a mystery witness. I am Albert Zunker, Fred's father, and I vowed that I would avenge my son's senseless death. I also worked for the road, as we call it, as a foreman. Every night after work, I would scour the neighborhood looking for witnesses or other clues to use to clear my boy's name and pin responsibility on rule. My surprise witness was Mrs. Eva Sands, who lived only three houses from the Avon Street crossing. She recalled hearing voices of men coming down the track without any indication of a quarrel. Suddenly she heard a voice ask, Why? What did we ever do to you? Followed by the sound of two shots. But upon cross-examination, Mrs. Sands admitted she could not remember the date of the occurrence. That bastard rule remained his customary cool self as the proceedings progressed, which just made my heart sink. The jury reached a decision shortly before 11 p.m. the night of closing arguments. The first ballot of the jury eliminated murder in the first and second degree. But one member thought Rule ought to be convicted of manslaughter since two men lay dead as a result of his actions. The argument had been intense, and the verdict bitterly contested by this one juror. In the end, the jury found the defendant not guilty. Rule, he never moved. He never displayed a sign of emotion. He was as stoical as he had been all through the case. He never apologized for taking the fate of John Shomers and my son in his own hands. Rule returned home happily to his family, to his wife and toddling son. Well, my wife and I visited our son in the cemetery. 
After his acquittal in the Shomer's murder trial, the state dismissed proceedings against Rule for the death of Fred Zunker. Louis Rule and his family left the cross for good after that. The Milwaukee Road transferred Rule to the rail yards in Chicago at first, but he relocated to his hometown Winona, returning to a former job of stationary engineer for the Winona Candy Company. Later, Rule moved his family to live out the rest of their lives in Washington, D.C. The families of both dead men, John Shomers and Fred Zunker, brought civil suits for damages against the Milwaukee Road, and both cases were settled out of court. While we will never know the amount of the damages, Albert Zunker continued his endless quest to bring Rule to justice. He did turn up another surprise witness who allegedly watched the criminal court proceedings, but who was never called by either the prosecution or the defense. Wisconsin law precluded a man to be tried twice for the same crime, but likely this witness was key in garnering damages in the civil case for the Zunker family. Albert Zunker continued to work for the Milwaukee Road until his retirement. And now I'd like to welcome in Anita Taylor-Doring, Senior Archivist and the Archives Department Manager at the La Crosse Public Library, who did some of the initial research for this story. There are a couple of things that struck me about this story, but the largest question in my mind is why a mob gathered around Rule, the railroad detective, almost immediately after the shots rang out, when no one at that point knew anything of the circumstances of the affray. Rule clearly felt his life was in immediate danger, and Officer Benzus made the decision to protect the shooter before calling for help for the men who lay wounded. And why, of course, did the police department feel it appropriate to not only release Rule that evening, but return his firearm to him? During World War I, many men were off fighting the Great War, and the railroads were essential to keeping the home front and war economy going. To protect their goods, they needed their own version of a police. The railroad detectives wielded a lot of power and were even called in by public authorities to assist in investigations across the country. Two days following the incident, after both men had passed, the La Crosse Tribune published an editorial that summed up the power and money that the railroad industry exercised in the United States during this time. It is time to take all gun-toting detectives and deputies out of private hire and make them officers of the law. The war is over! Railroad detectives should either be made state constabulary or should be connected with police departments and compelled to report to them and submit to their authority and regulations. When a private corporation hires a man to tote a gun, it can never be sure that he is not also toting private grudges. Understanding this background, then, it makes sense that the Northside crowd that quickly gathered around the fallen men and the railroad detective were sending a strong signal to protect the local community against the big machine of the railroad. Another point made in the editorial was this food for thought. The public suspects that the major effort on the part of the railroad sleuths is to make a case for rule, and the police cannot afford to depend upon the former for their facts, nor to be too closely associated with them. There is no denying that rule had a team of lawyers hired by the Milwaukee Road to defend him. The La Crosse police lacked evidence to make a strong case, and Albert Zunker took it upon himself to try and bring witnesses to testify to have a fair trial. Zunker himself was a longtime employee of the road, and he must have understood immediately what he was up against. He also understood that the young men who were killed held low-skilled jobs compared to that of a railroad detective. In the end, while Rule was acquitted of any wrongdoing, both families did settle out of court with the Milwaukee Road for damages. Thanks for listening.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.